This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Morning Church. Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 11, verse 10. This is the account of Shem's family line. Two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Ephesus. And after he became the father of Ephesus, Shem lived 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ephesus had lived 35 years, he became the father of Shelah. And after he became the father of Shelah, Ephesus lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he became the father of Eber. And after he became the father of Eber, Shelah lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he became the father of Peleg. And after he became the father of Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he became the father of Ru. And after he became the father of Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ru had lived 32 years, he became the father of Sarah. And after he became the father of Sarah, Ru lived 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarah had lived 30 years, he became the father of Nahor. And after he became the father of Nahor, Sarah lived 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he became the father of Terah. And after he became the father of Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and had other sons and daughters. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishka. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terai took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they settled from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. When they came, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terai. I think Yodi might have uh, froze on her screen. Let me finish up on the last few verses. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Genesis 12 verse 1, Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lord went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. 
He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Verse 6. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Sechem. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. When Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. This is God's word. Now in a short while, Pastor Andrew Ong will be coming up to unpack today's passage. So it would be great if you can grab your Bible, um, your notebook or a pen so that you can take down some notes or to think about the passage together. So as you do that, let me invite Pastor Andrew Ong. Good morning, everyone. Really good to see all of you here today. Uh, it's very exciting because we've come to the end of our Genesis series. And uh, it really ties in really well today. So I really hope that uh, I'll do a faithful job trying to link all the parts that we've been looking at to uh, over the last few weeks in Genesis and uh, bring it to a good conclusion. So I really need to ask God, get, ask you to help me to ask God to help us to really get uh, to the meat of the passage today. So the only way we can do that is to go to God in prayer. So join me as we go to God in prayer. Uh, dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, we thank you so much for the many weeks where we've been able to come together uh, in our sermon series and our Bible studies to study the book of Genesis. And we've learned so much in terms of uh, the fundamental problem of humanity. And we look to find a solution to this problem. We thank you for revealing to us who you are and who we are. And we just pray that today as we come to Genesis 11 and 12, that you'll help us once again uh, to have our eyes open, to have our hearts set on fire, to know deeply uh, the, the gospel truths uh, about uh, the solution that you're going to give us for the problem of sin. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so um, I have a relative of mine uh, who is a self-made man. And so this relative of mine, he very much believes in doing things himself. So, you know, if you have a problem, you've got to fix it yourself. If you can't fix it, it's because you haven't worked hard enough or you haven't thought hard enough about the problem. And so he's very confident about hard work and his own ability to solve any problem that there is that he can confront. And he's been very successful in this attitude of following these principles all of his life. But sadly, later in life, he developed cancer. And when he developed cancer, he realized that all these principles by which he lived upon were wrong because you can't outwork cancer. You can't rely on yourself to overcome cancer. You need to rely on your specialists, your doctors, and you can't solve the problem of cancer by yourself. And today we're going to come to the problem of sin. And this is the problem that we've been encountering in Genesis chapter 1 to 11 so far. So I'm going to uh, screen share uh, the video, uh, sort of the video, but the PowerPoint to remind you of the flow of the story that we've seen so far in Genesis 1 to 11. And really, when you look at the whole flow of chapter 1 to 11, it reveals to us the extent of the sin problem 
that humanity faces. So we began in Genesis 1 and 2, and we found that God made a good world, and he, he put man and woman into this perfectly good world. But if you remember, after that, uh, Adam and Eve rejected God, and the, the, the world started going on a downhill trajectory. Okay, there was a, a curse, and there was the casting out of Eden. And by the very next generation, things got from uh, bad to worse, where the next generation, Cain murdered Abel, and then his, his children, they became really violent, and they married whoever that they wanted. They were outwardly very rebellious against God. And if you remember, in Genesis chapter 6, God was really grieved by the sinfulness and wickedness of humanity. He said, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. And now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. And so therefore God set judgment on the earth and he set this great flood for 40 days, 40 nights, rain and rain and rain, and everybody was killed except for Noah. And this was, again, another fresh start, so to speak, right? So if creation was a fresh start, then another fresh start was this beginning with Noah and the people of the ark. But eventually, uh, uh, sadly, very, very, very sadly, eventually, the sin problem again reared its ugly head, where Noah, the righteous man, became drunk. And we're not sure what the sin was, but his offspring Ham sinned against his father. And again, there was a curse. And then the next generation as well, they all refused to listen to God. And they built the Tower of Babel in rebellion of God's instructions to scatter and to multiply on earth. But instead, humanity sought to build cities and to live and not to multiply as God had instructed them. And that's where we find ourselves today. So if we look at the genealogy, which was well, really well read to us by Yodi, uh, what we see now is that there is a, uh, a connection. Okay, so it's a sin problem. So the whole of humanity faces this sin problem. So if we read the genealogy that was really well read to us by Yodi, we see that there's this continuing flow of people where we're looking, we're looking for someone who will solve this sin problem. So the two children of, uh, of uh, Adam and Eve, well, they're not going to solve the problem because Cain murdered Abel, his brother. And then the subsequent generations like Lamech, they became even more violent and more sinful and sexually sinful. And so there is no hope in that line, Cain line. And so there's the Noah line. And the problem was, again, Noah got drunk. Ham sinned against his father. And Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, that line, they rebelled against God by building the Tower of Babel. So again, there is no hope in this line. They are all consumed by this sin problem. So today we come to this very, very, very important person in the person of Abraham. Because we stop here in the book of Genesis in the person of Abraham because he is just so important. Because Abraham is going to be provided with the solution to this sin problem. And that's why Abraham actually takes up so much more of Genesis. So in Genesis chapter 1 to 11, you know, think about it. We covered many people of much time. Right? Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah, his children, Shem, Ham, Jephthah. 
So they take up 11 chapters. But this person, Abraham, by himself, takes up 14 chapters from 11 to 25. So it shows you just how important Abraham is. Because Abraham is going to be provided with the solution to the sin problem. And so how do we see that in Genesis chapter 12? Well, in Genesis chapter 12, let's look at the passage itself. And we're going to look at the end of Genesis chapter 11. Because that's where we are introduced to the family of Abram. And so verse 27 says this. Uh, This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishkah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. So here we we were given the link all the way from Shem all the way to Abram. And really, when you think about it, what is Abram? Who is Abram? Uh, he's really not a very impressive person. Uh, he's a bit like a, a nobody, right? You know, a nobody. He's not, in the eyes of the world, he's not very impressive at all. So the first thing we see is that he's a nomad. Okay, he's a nomad. Uh, it's not that he's mad, but he's not. But a nomad is somebody who travels around, right? You know, they, they, they pasture sheep and uh, or, or some sort of animal, and they go from place to place looking for fertile land and places to graze. So he's a nomad. He's not a very impressive person. And we realize also that he has uh, no home because, as we read in the passage, his father, Terra. They were living in Ur here at the bottom, right? And then they wanted to make their way uh, to Haran, but oh, sorry, to Canaan, but they ended up stopping in this place called Haran. So not only are they uh, nomads, but they really have no home, okay? Because they're, they're just sort of traveling from place to place. So nomads, no home. It's also quite uh, important. I think the original readers probably would have picked it up, but we don't really pick it up. But Ur and Haran are both centers of idol worship. So we presume at this stage, we're not given any news at all, that Terah and Abram, his family, they are actually moon worshippers, right? So they are nomads, they have no home, and they also have no worship of God. They don't know God. Okay, so Because these places are centers of moon worship. And we actually see in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, where it actually says that uh, Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago your forefathers 
including Terah, the father of Abram and Nahor, lived beyond the, worship, uh, the river and worshipped other gods. So we see that really Abram is a nobody. He is a nomad. He has no home. And he doesn't know God. He has no God. And that's what makes what God does so generous and so gracious and so wonderful because he's not looking for God. Abraham's family is not looking for God, but God looks for him. God chooses him. God speaks to him and God calls him. And so even though Abram really is a nobody, uh, he becomes a special, in a sense, uh, nobody, right? Because what do we see? Because God gives him promises. And these promises are what makes Abraham or Abram so, so special. Because by himself, Abram is really a nobody, a nobad, no home, and he doesn't even know God. Okay? So let's look now to these promises that God so graciously gives this nobody, Abram, and see what is so special about these promises that that makes Abram so important to us today. Okay, so let's look at the, the passage itself again. So let's look at the promises in chapter 12. So in chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, I want to look first at the uh, first few uh, promises, which are astounding, right? He says, I will make you into a great nation. I'll make your name great. He also says, go to this land that I will show you. So the implicit promise, as we'll see later, is that God will give him this land that he will show him. Now, if you think about it, these two promises in themselves are astounding, astounding. The promise of land and the promise of a great nation. Because as we know, when we look at Abraham, who is he again? He's just a nomad, right? He's got nowhere, no land, no home, nothing. He's just kind of like this wandering, uh, herdsman sort of person. So how can, how can he ever expect to ever get any land? Uh, the other promise of being a great nation, again, doesn't make sense because, uh, Abram, as we read, uh, was an old, old person. Right? He was an old person. He was an old man. And his wife, Sarai, was also old. Uh, it said that she was uh, barren. That means she couldn't have children. So these two promises of land and of nation really are quite ridiculous and laughable if it wasn't for God giving these promises to Abram. But we see that actually God does keep his promises. Uh, as we go further and further into the story of Genesis, and even beyond that, uh, we see that God does give him the land. So where does Abram travel? So 
Abram obeys God. He goes from Haran, which is up here, sorry, up here, and he goes down to the land which God has promised him in Canaan. Now, when that happens, after that, oops, I got to, uh, we see that, uh, Abram out of faith listens to God and goes down to this land. And this is very important, right? Because, because of Abram's obedience, he is given the land and he's given this great nation. Now we're going to come back to this point later on. So I want us to really pay attention. Abraham in faith listened to God, went down to that land. He left his family. He left his security. He left his, you know, the, the, the comfort zone. And he went down in faith and listened to God and went down to see the land and to seize the promises that God had given him. Now, as a result, what did God do? God did give his promises as a result of the faith of Abraham. So, Abraham goes down to the promised land. And then later on, much later on, we see that actually this green part, which we see in the map, was given to Abraham's descendants. The fulfillment of this promise was given to Abraham. Now, you think about it for a moment, right? So uh, you look at my screen behind me. You just think for a moment. Uh, this is who Abraham was when he received the promises of God. Okay, so uh, okay, so this is a picture of the desert. Abraham will probably just be this guy at the front. Okay, so it's just some nobody, you know, in the desert with his uh, cattle, with his, sorry, not cattle, they're camels. And, uh, you know, and God gives him the promise, you're going to have land, you're going to have this great nation. And it actually comes true. Not only does he inherit the land, but what we see is that indeed he truly becomes a great nation. Because later on, Abraham is given children, Isaac, Jacob, and then he's given many, many more children who become the 12 tribes who inherit the land. So he becomes a great nation. Now, as we look at the first two promises, you may kind of say to, 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 to me and say, well, you know, that's all very interesting. But you know, Andrew, you said, Abraham's the one who's given the solution to the sin problem. What's it got to do with sin? And what's that got to do with us? Right? I mean, do I really care that this guy in the desert, this nobody in the desert gets to have a great nation and land? I mean, what's, what's the big deal? How, how is this important for us? Why are we even bothering about it at church today? Well, it's very, very important because of the last promise of God. See, what was the last promise of God? It was that through through Abraham, the whole world will be blessed, right? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, right? So this last promise is so super duper important that it is going to be the promise which, in a sense, underlines and drives through the New Testament, from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, all the way to Jesus Christ. So we saw that God had promised Abraham specific promises of nation and land. 
But this is the promise that really impacts us. That all peoples of the earth be blessed through Abraham. But how can that be, right? We're not Jewish. I don't know Father Abraham. Actually, the, the first song we sang was wonderful, Father Abraham. Because if you understand that song, you understand the sermon today. Okay, so how is this linked to us? How does Abraham bless us today? Well, that's where we want to come today to Romans chapter 4. Okay, so Romans chapter 4 is very important. Okay, so, uh, oh yeah, okay, so we already saw that God fulfilled the promise of land. Canaan was given to his offspring. Israel was given as a great nation. But how does he then bless us? How does how does God fulfill this promise of blessing all nations? Well, in a sense, it fixes the world's sin problem. It gives us righteousness so that we will not be guilty. Now, let's look at Romans chapter 4, and I'll read it to you. I'll sort of cut out the important bits. Okay. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or only for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised who, are not, who not only are circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Now you might say, oh, this is really, really complicated, Andrew. You need to explain this to us. And, and this is what we, we, we need to do, but but Romans chapter 4 is actually bringing us all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. And so we remember in Genesis chapter 12, uh, God had given Abraham very specific promises of land, of nation, and of blessing to all the nations. And what did Abraham do when God called him, spoke to him, and gave him his promises? Abraham responded in faith, in faith to his promises, right? He responded in faith. He believed God's promises. And because of that, what Romans chapter 4 says is that because he had faith in God's promises, God then kept his promises to Abram. So it says that Abram's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness is where you are not guilty where you are justified, where you are no longer face judgment from God. He's, it says that he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness that he had, had by faith. So it says that that he was credited, okay, he was credited righteousness. Uh, this word credited righteousness is a very, very interesting word. Okay, I want to look at this word credited in a moment. Now, uh, the idea of credit 
is actually a business word. It's a commercial word. And uh, if you're a businessman, uh, you love to be credited with things. It means that, uh, you know, someone credited sales to you, the bank credited money to you. It's a very positive word. It means you've been given money or you've been given sales or something. So what this passage is really saying in Romans chapter 4, looking back at Genesis 12, is that when Abraham had faith in God's promises, when he displayed trust in in God's promises, what did God do? Well, God, instead of crediting money into the bank account of Abraham, it's it's almost like uh, the scales of justice. Instead of a bank account, this is like the justice account. Because Abraham had faith in God's promises, God then credits Abraham with righteousness. That means he is no longer guilty, right? That means because of faith, God says, I give you all this righteousness so that you you are no longer sinful. You're no longer facing judgment. You're no longer guilty. And this is really important because here we see finally how God is going to solve the sin problem. Not because Abraham was a good man, not because Abraham worked very hard, not because Abraham was a religious man or even a moral man, but because God credits into his justice bank account righteousness, right? Because he had faith in God's promises. And what Romans chapter 4 goes on to say is that this promise to Abraham comes to us as well. Because don't forget in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is meant to be a blessing to all people, to all nations. And this is what he blesses us with. Righteousness. You see, if you look in the passage, it says, we have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. He is also the father of the circumcised, who not only who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was uh, circumcised. So what we see here is that Abraham is given righteousness, right? Okay, so Abraham is given righteousness, He's credited righteousness. But this righteousness is not for Abraham alone. As God had promised in Genesis chapter 12, this righteousness by which Abraham is credited to is a blessing to nations, including people in Singapore. So if you look at this table, that I've sort of, uh, this graphic that I've given you, Abraham had faith. If we have the same faith as Abraham, then it's just like the song we sang at the beginning, right? He is our father, Father Abraham. He is our father. We belong to his family. He then blesses us in the same way and we move together with him into righteousness, into being not guilty. So if you think about it, right, uh, this is so, so important because it's guaranteed for all who are Abraham's offspring. If we belong to Father Abraham, if Abraham is our, we, we are the family of Abraham, so to speak, then it is guaranteed that we will receive this grace. It's guaranteed that we will receive this righteousness. 
Just as Abraham, our father, received righteousness, we too, as part of his family, sons and daughters of Abraham, will also receive this righteousness. Now, to give you uh, an illustration, do you all recognize this uh, building? Do you all recognize this building? Maybe you don't. But um, this building is uh, Buckingham Palace in, uh, in England. And that's where the royal family lived. Now imagine if I wanted to, to live in Buckingham Palace. Uh, maybe I want to be Prince Ong or King Ong. You know, I always wanted to be prince or king, you know, live in Buckingham Palace. Could I buy Buckingham Palace? Could I buy being a king or prince? Uh, you can't buy it, right? You could be Mark Zuckerberg, you still couldn't buy Buckingham Palace. You could be Steve Jobs, you still couldn't buy Buckingham Palace. But you can inherit it, isn't it? If you are adopted into the royal family, then you can inherit what they already have. And so what we see here in, in Genesis chapter 12, fulfilled in Romans chapter 4, is that we can only receive the righteousness that Abraham received if we belong to the family of Abraham, if he is our father. And in order to do so, we need to walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had. Okay, so we need to walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had. And when that happens, uh, what it's almost like what he received, we will receive too because we are now part of his family. So if you think about it, he received righteousness. And so if we have the same faith, uh, we too will receive the same righteousness. And in Romans chapter 4, it says, this is guaranteed because we are of the same family, because God made his promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, all nations will be blessed through you. So in the same way, we know that this must happen. Right? This must happen. So as we now look at the passage, we actually see that God is a God who keeps his promises. Uh, if we go back to... the Romans chapter uh, 24. Oh, no. We must go back to the Bible passage. So we go to um, Romans chapter 24. Romans 4, 24. Sorry, I forgot to give you the slide. Romans 4, 24. Look what it says. It says, the words, in verse 23, the words, it was credited to him, were not written to him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Now, Unfortunately, we don't have lots of time. We, 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 you know, we didn't really do this passage, Romans chapter 4, justice. But what he's saying is, if you look at the slide that I have in front of you, Abraham, in a sense, uh, was given proof of 
God's ability, or we are given proof of God's ability to give righteousness to Abraham. How? Because God kept his promises of land and nation to Abraham. So if he can keep the promises of land and nation to Abraham, then God can definitely keep his promise of blessing the nations of righteousness and solving the sin problem. But Romans chapter 4 verse 24 goes beyond that. He says, right, that for us, we are we are given even more than Abraham was, was given. Because we believe in God who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. So if Abraham, Father Abraham in a sense, could only see the fulfillment of God's promises in nation and people and land, then for us, God's people who live this side of the cross, we are given more. We are given the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And this is so much more significant than Abraham because we as Christians today know how God actually credits righteousness to Abraham. He credits righteousness to Abraham. He keeps his promises to Abraham because he sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross and to rise again, to die for our forgiveness, to die for our sins and to be justified, to rise again for our justification. So as we come to the end of today's passage, the end of today's sermon and to the end of the sermon series on Genesis, what we see is in Genesis chapter 1 to 11, there is this overwhelming downward spiral of sin that afflicts man and women, humanity, and we cannot solve it ourselves. We are like the self-made man facing the cancer problem. We cannot outwork sin. We cannot solve sin. But what Genesis 12 actually does is that it gives us the solution to the problem of sin, which is found in God's promises to Abraham. And Abraham responded by faith to God's promises. And through the faith of Abraham, we too now, if we have the same faith of Abraham, we will have the same promises received and given to us of the solution to sin problem because we know now of Jesus' death and resurrection from the cross. So today, how do we then end all these things? How do we put it all together? Well, what we need to do, what we need to do after looking at Genesis 1 to 11, Genesis 12 and Romans, is we need to have the same faith as Abraham. If we have the same faith of Abraham, we walk in the footsteps of faith, in Abraham, of faith of Abraham in God's promises, then the promises of blessing, the promises of righteousness, the promises of the solution to sin's problem will be also given to us because Abraham is now our father. So I hope that for all of us here today, we will see that we cannot solve the sin problem ourselves. We can only solve the problem of sin through faith. The same faith that Abraham had in God's promises and the same faith that we ha now have in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I hope for all of us, we will always have that faith. We will always walk in the footsteps of faith of Abraham, confident 
and leaving behind the security of everything in this world, but confident instead in the promises of God. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to pray that you may help us to to marvel, to wonder, and to rejoice at how deep and profound your promises to Abraham were. You promised land to a nomad. You promised a great nation to an old man whose wife was old and could not bear children. And yet, you fulfilled it. You promised that through this old, wandering nomad, a person with no home, who did not even worship you, that he would be a blessing to all nations. And indeed, we see that to be true. For just as Abraham was credited righteousness, so we who walk in the footsteps of faith of Father Abraham will be credited righteousness. And how much more blessed are we? For we have now seen how the credited, the crediting of righteousness happens. That it comes about because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That he died for our sins and he rose for our justification. So we pray for each and every one of us that you may make clear what we must do today. That we must walk in the same footsteps of faith as our father Abraham. That we must not hold on to security in anything else, but only in your promises. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.